We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about another disappointing Nets loss. They fall at home to OKC, 129-116. How you feeling? Will the Nets ever play defense? The answer <laughs> is no. <laughs> and it's not just the defense, too. It's just like the lack of energy and enthusiasm on that end of the floor. We're going to jump into that, plenty of other things. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, Pods, and netsrepublic.com. But... Jack, where do we start? Um, 41 points in the first quarter, Nick. Let's start right at the start. Everything's gravy. Nets have a 12-point lead. And then they score 40 points in the next two quarters. What the hell went wrong? Yeah, a lot went wrong. I mean, I thought, you know, in the first quarter, they got a little bit lucky to the extent of OKC just not being that talented of an offensive team where they gave up a lot of shots. They still scored 29 points, but you didn't really pay attention to it because the Nets were just looking so smooth offensively, hitting their stuff, Karis Avert, Kevin Durant. And then I felt like when that second unit came in, that's when the momentum really started to switch over to OKC and they started to get a little bit more confidence. And then the starters came back. They were able to kind of maintain the game. But I felt like when the second unit came in, the momentum changed and already the defense wasn't great. And OKC started to gain some of that confidence. And we've talked about it before. When it's a young team and you let them get comfortable and confident, there's a chance they might go off in the second half. Yeah, I think the, the second unit was goddamn awful, except for Torian Prince tonight. Uh, TLC was okay in spurts, but he was, again, bipolar, as I've often referred to him as. Like The, the three-point foul on Hamadou Diallo was just idiotic, and Torian Prince has done that, um, has done like an end of the, an unnecessary foul. Jeff Green gave away an unnecessary foul at the end of the quarter. SGA. Landry Shamit fouled somebody after they dunked the ball. It's, and he gave away the turnover. Like, he, yep. his game today was maybe the worst game of any Nets player this season. And we've talked about DeAndre Jordan time after time after time. <laughs> now, maybe it's because we have higher expectations for Landry Shamit and because he's a 40% three, career three-point shooter and he just can't hit a three. Like, this is Alan Crabb 2.0, it seems, Nick. Yeah, it really is. And his shot just looks off. Like, when it comes out of his hand, it looks short. 
it looks like it's going to hit the front of the rim because he shoots like kind of that line drive style sometimes. And like you're seeing it not even reach there. I guess let's start with Landry Shamit because I felt like that was one of the issues, one of the issues of the second unit because we anticipated this guy being a pretty solid contributor, especially in that second unit in terms of providing offense, coming off screens, hitting three-point shots, you know, dribble handoffs, things like that. And he's giving them nothing. And teams are not even respecting him. And defensively, he's been kind of hit or miss. And I thought tonight he didn't look too great either. Hit or miss, he's been missed, my dude. He, he, I can't remember the last time he had a hit in terms of offensively or defensively. There was the game where, you know, the Nets scored like 150 points and Toyin Prince and Landry Shamit were balling. Difference with Toyin Toy Prince is he's maintaining at least a level of consistency that we haven't probably seen from him, but we'll get to him in a little bit. Landry Shamit was out there with DeAndre Jordan TLC and like Bruce Brown and, and these other dudes. And it's just like, and Toyin Prince, I'm just like, this is the lineup you're going to have Landry Shamit as your ball handler and floor spacer. He was bringing up the ball a lot, and I'm just like... Against Lou Dort. That just made me uncomfortable. <laughs> and look, Lou Dort, you know, he flopped a lot tonight, and he was doing his best Trae Young impression. But he made, he's always going to make things uncomfortable for yep. you, no matter who you are. And Landry Shamit doesn't have enough offensive capabilities and enough skill to be able to be better than a, a quite a good defensive stopper in, in, in Lou Dort. He made bad decisions on both ends of the floor. He didn't execute. His offense wasn't good enough. And yet, we saw Bruce Brown get a little bit of a, some time. And then, for some reason, he gets two minutes and then he gets an extra three minutes in garbage time. I don't understand what Landry Sh uh, Maybe, okay, copy and paste from whichever episode where I've said this before and in probably the same level of aggressive and frustrated tone. Why is Landry Shamet getting any modicum of minutes over Bruce Brown? Bruce Brown, not a great offensive player. We know that. But he at least gives you a spark of defensive energy, can give you a floater here and there, and can be pesky a la like a Lou Dort. And like an entire could... OKC team. <laughs> Like, their, yeah, their entire team lacks, you know, true talent and an elite play other than, like, SGA, Al Horford, and George Hill is a great player as well. And, look, we shouldn't be losing by 13 points and giving up 129 points to a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's not good enough, and Landry Shaman was a key proponent of that. And the, Steve Nash just didn't change. He's just yeah. like, nah, let's, let's really work through it. But he just kept doing bad things, bad things after bad things. You... For some reason, pulled Bruce Brown after two minutes. I don't know what he did to get pulled so quickly out of the rotation. Yet Landry Shamet keeps doing bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Like, I said, like, DeAndre Jordan must have nudes of Steve Nash. But I think Landry Shamet must have the same exact freaking photos. Because it's just... It, it makes no sense why he got 15 minutes tonight, Nick. 15 minutes. And it was minus 15 in those minutes. Yeah, it's just really hard to digest what's going on. And then what was it? A few games ago, he wasn't in the rotation. So it's like, okay, Steve Nash has realized the play wasn't great. We're going to go with Bruce Brown. And then that doesn't happen. And I felt like just the coaching from Steve Nash in this game was pretty rough. Maybe the entire coaching staff didn't feel like there was any adjustment in terms of defending OKC and what they were doing. And also like some of the scouting report and some of the guys and how they defended him. And like, they just don't necessarily make their life easy. Like the Nets have a lot of great offensive weapons and they don't necessarily know how to use them all at the same time or use them to play off of each other. No, and, and that goes to the coaching to be able yep. to figure out what the rotations are and the ones that work. And, you know, we saw this starting five, Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, Joe Harris, Jared Long, Carol Severs. It's like, okay, there's your five best players right there. You play your five best players at the same time, you're going to get, you know, some solid service. But at the same time, that there wasn't a level of staggering. You know, we saw KD play like 10, 9, 10 minutes in the first quarter. 
the lack of staggering, you know, when you have KD and Kyrie, you know, I think you needed to stagger Karis Levert and Kevin Durant much, much more yeah. because the the backups, there was, and without, again, without Tyler Johnson still, without Kyrie Irving and obviously Spencer Dinwiddie out for an incredibly extended period, there is no ball handling and playmaking in the second unit. Like, and you're not going to play Chris Chios and, you know, he doesn't deserve to play after his performance against the Memphis Grizzlies either. Like, Bruce Brown can do a little bit, but then he just gets yanked after two minutes, and Landry Shaman is left to be, like, a modicum of a, of a facilitator for certain points, and it's just like, I, I, I didn't, it, none of it made sense, Nick. It, it really didn't. From a strategy perspective, it didn't. Like, there was just nothing tonight that, like, made you feel very confident. Like you said, just from the second unit alone, looking at the pieces that you have on the floor... Where were you going to create offense? Like, where was it going to come from? There, there wasn't nothing. There wasn't anything, especially in terms of how this team is in terms of their offensive scheme. Like, they're not running a ton of steps to get open shots. Like, there are certain teams you can get away with, you know, not necessarily having great playmaking because you're running such a cohesive offense. The Nets don't have that. And like you said, Jack, it would have been smart to keep one of Karis LeVert or Kevin Durant on the floor at almost all times in this game. Maybe you try to, you know, steal two minutes, four minutes here or there. But, like, you need KD and Karis LeVert on the floor, one of those two guys to create and score for this team at, at the very least. And if not them, like, you need to have at least have Joe Harris out there to provide some type of offense. It's just rough. And, like, to make matters even worse, the Nets lost this game by du- double digits, but they played a majority of their starters over 30 minutes. Like, KD almost played 38 yeah. minutes this game. Karis LeVert played pretty much 36. Jared Allen, 33. Joe Harris, 32. And you still can't win the game. I think that's extremely disappointing. If it was a game where, you know, the bench played a good chunk of minutes and they just kind of let it go. Yeah, that's fine. But the fact that so many good players played and they still lost it, it's very disappointing. I think this is probably one of the most frustrating losses of the season, given OKC's talent, where the Nets are and what, you know, you expect when Kevin Durant's on the floor. Yeah, look, and Kevin Durant was brilliant. You know, I mean, his first game back after a week off, and you'd expect there to be, you know, there was some rust in terms of in terms of some of his like conditioning, some of his overhelping, some of his you know shot selection at times. But you can't necessarily argue a thirty-six point, eleven rebound, four assists, and a block performance, eleven and twenty-one fifty-two percent shooting. Yeah, like come on, man. Like, and and he got to the line fifteen times. He was showing the aggression there. The Nets got to the line twenty-four times, and fifteen of those times were Kevin Durant. Like yeah. really, when nitpicking if we're arguing about Kevin Durant you know we can but the only thing I would say about KD I thought a couple of his passes were telegraphed like they were just very obvious into where he was going to throw the ball and it just got an easy steal and that kind of contributed to OKC getting those easy transition buckets yeah, I mean, I, I agree, Nick. There was It wasn't a flawless performance from KD, and I guess we expect that from a player of his ilk, <laughs> even after missing four games and probably lacking a little bit of conditioning and lacking a little bit of rust as well. But, you know, his moves in the post are just goddamn flawless. You know, it's like watching the Mona Lisa for 24-7. It's just goddamn art. And and, and then, you know, he, he, he cooks Darius Baisley and gets to the line a lot. You know, he's just a... Yeah. He's a, he's a master of his craft. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, it seems to me that it's two games in a row now that the Brooklyn Nets have wasted performances from their, their best players. Kevin Durant puts up a 36-point performance on 52% shooting, like you mentioned, Nick. And Karis Levert puts up a 43%, a 43-point performance. And the Nets lose both of them. And this one wasn't even close. Yeah, I think that's what's just so disappointing. You don't mind, like... The games that they lost against Charlotte or Washington, sometimes that's going to happen. It's a close game. You get yourself back in it, and you maybe just don't have enough juice. But, like, 
OKC won this game by double digits, and the Nets ended up pulling their starters and playing their bench unit to finish the game, and that just can't happen against a team like OKC. That can happen if you're playing one of the best teams in the league and you have an off night. That's fine, but OKC's goal this season is not to win a ton of games. Like their goal is to win a few games and get a good draft spot. And obviously, you know they do still have some veterans and some good players there, but there's no reason the Nets couldn't beat this team by double digits and blow them out, in which it looked like they were going to do in the first quarter. I mean, they had a lead of 15 points. And it's just like, what happened after that? You know, 41 points in the first quarter. Then they get outscored 28 to 22. And then 37 to 18. It was absolutely ugly. You know, there was turnovers aplenty. There was no cohesion offensively. And OKC was scoring at will. You know, like I mentioned, 72 points in the second half. It's just, and for a team that doesn't, it's not the Milwaukee Bucks and they take a million three-pointers. Or it's not the Los Angeles Lakers and they have two goddamn superstars. It made no sense. And a lot of it is on the players. A lot of it is on the coaching. And, you know, we've got people, uh, and uh, rightfully, you know, I'm not sure if you wanted to bring up on the pod right now, Nick, but what has Steve Nash done for you right now to prove that he can lead this team to a championship? Has he done anything or is he moving backwards in his sort of coaching progression? Yeah, I think that's a really tough question, Jack, because obviously he's learning on the run. This is, what, the 10th or 11th game of the season. I think there's been some minor flashes, but then for the most part, it's like he's going back to some of the same mistakes, and it's like, is he going to get over this hump? I feel like maybe I feel a little bit less confident about him coaching this team to a championship than I initially did, but that could easily change because, again, it's still such a small sample size. And at the end of the day, you know, Kyrie Irving is still out for a few games. Spencer Dinwiddie's out for the season. So there's some new adjustments to the team and maybe the style that he did want to play, and he has to make those changes. And also to, I guess, defend him a touch, some players that we expected to play at least average to mediocre this season are playing pretty bad, and that's DeAndre Jordan, Chris Gioza, Landry Shamit, like – they're just some guys that are really underperforming. But Nash, on the other hand, isn't making those adjustments that you really need to make if you want to be a championship team. Look, Matt Brooks, you know, friend of the pod, the former co-host of the pod, put this out there. And I don't know, it's it's it, and it's something that we chatted about on, upon the hiring of Steve Nash. You know, there was a great level of enthusiasm. He wrote I've ne- on his Twitter, at Matt Brooks NBA, I've never understood the idea of bringing a rookie coach into the mix of an already high-variance team with championship aspirations. It just seems like an unnecessary risk. Well, the the Golden State Warriors did it, and it worked out okay for them. Um, so I don't know. I, I get that, and I, I, I think it makes some sense, but because they have the level of experience to support him. Now, whether that's on Mike D'Antoni, Ime Yudoka, Jacques Vaughn, not providing that level of experience, and maybe they're sort of doing what Steve Nash is doing and sort of letting them play them through their mistakes. And... It's the early point of the season, you know, we're 10, 11, 12 games in. It doesn't necessarily matter as much of these games as the ones that are in April, May, and June. But yep. the Nets got to be there in April, May, and June right now, Nick. They're not even in the playoff race. Yeah, I mean, they're still in the playoff race, and there's still plenty of time for them to get there. I'd say the one difference, too, with Golden State, though, is that team was already set in place. You know what I mean? Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green were already there, and they already had some cohesion, and Steve Kerr was just that finaling touch. So I do think... We, I always thought the Steve Nash hiring was a risk, but it was also a risk that you take if you want to hit the highest peak because if it does work out and you hit on Steve Nash and he becomes this great coach and the perfect fit for this team, then there's a chance you win multiple championships. And we always thought there was a possibility it could go bad because he lacks experience. And always one fear I have with great players taking over as a head coach 
is that everything clicks so easy for them. Like the game of basketball makes so much sense for Steve Nash in his head. And sometimes that's hard to explain to someone with a lower basketball IQ or just a different perspective on the game. And it, it kind of feels like at times that's what we're seeing on the floor where when Steve Nash was playing, he'd maybe hope his coach wouldn't take a timeout and he could kind of get the unit to do what he wanted to do and lead them and run the offense and set things up. But the Nets don't really have a player like Steve Nash out there. Yeah, Kevin Durant's one of the, the greatest players of all time, but his skill set in perspective is not the same as Steve Nash in terms of like running the offense and being a floor general. And I think that's just something that they're missing a little bit right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether the, the principles in place and the the key tent poles to success that the Brooklyn Nets are, are wanting and are striving towards are the ones that are going to be focused on for the next 72 games or 71 games. Oh, sorry, not 61 games or so. I don't know. But um, the great Anthony Puccio, Nick, brought this up. And look, it's worth chatting about because, you know, the game isn't necessarily something we want to chat about, to be honest. Kenny Atkinson would be halfway down Flatbush Avenue if he started five and six with his team. I'm not saying Stephen Nash should be fired. There are 11 games in and he needs to be better. Just saying Kenny clearly had zero room for error with half the talent. Do you think that he's he's on the money there? Do you think Pooch... I mean, it's, it's not really very often where we don't agree with, with the great Anthony Puccio. I mean, I mean, if, like, is he saying if Kenny Atkinson was coaching this Nets team and they were five and six, would he be fired? I think there's definitely a higher probability. But if... I think the Nets were pretty close to like five and six last year and he wasn't fired. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know if that's the case with this level of talent. Yeah. I think he would probably be in a hotter seat than Steve Nash because Steve Nash is getting a longer leash because he is a rookie head coach. And this is always something that could happen. And then obviously the Nets have had to deal with some COVID things, some players being out, like I mentioned, and the cohesion and the lack of a training camp doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have this amazing start to the season. And I know honestly, a lot of people predicted that the Nets would get off to a slow start and trying to kind of find their rhythm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But at the same time, the Nets also have one of the easiest first half schedules that has been let out. And we sort of analyzed that in you know, a preseason pod. And it's like, okay, this gives the Nets some time to sort of figure things out. And, you know, they beat the Jazz and they beat the Sixers, yet they lose to the Grizzlies and, and lose to OKC. It's, it, this is a really sporadic team and it's a really sporadic season. So it's hard to sort of analyze it with the fullest picture. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. I think that tonight's Especially the energy levels. That's like the hardest thing I'm having a, a time gauging because of like, you don't know how much is connected to COVID and the pandemic and the lack of conditioning and the lack of the training camp and the, you know, just like all the other stress factors that, that are, you can't gauge. 
And and you would expect the defense to be better with Jeff Green out there in the starting lineup because, you know, he seems to be a, a yep. massive leader there. You know, I don't think Jared Allen was amazing tonight on that end of the floor. I thought oh, Horford that took him to school a little bit, to be honest. He did, he did. Abs and, yeah, 66 points in the paint of 56, 17 total turnovers and 21 fast break points. Those are the key stats that stick out to me as a team that wasn't engaged enough. And, you know, whether it's a Sunday, and like you mentioned, it is hard to analyze these one-game performances and provide a big-picture analysis about the the season as a whole but there are principles that the Nets have in terms of their switching defense in terms of their wanting to get out and transition what do you think of the switching defense Jack so far and what we've seen especially tonight I think we saw it at a higher level than we have over the last couple games I mean if you have your front court as KD Jeff Green and Jared Allen it gives you a level of performance that you have some weak side help behind you but the OKC exploited that. And they were able to get into the post and they were able to get in lanes and create space um, by just being clever and being like, you know, they had a better game plan that was executed by their team than the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets just weren't savvy enough to make adjustments on the fly, whether that's on the players, whether that's on the coach. I think it's certainly probably more the players when it comes to that because, you know, you have the scheme, you know, a switching scheme makes enough sense but it requires a level of communication and execution that is on the five that are out there. And the Nets just didn't do that. And it's right now, it's not working. You know, we've sort of said that, you know, that Boston Celtics game was really good, but what is one game out of 11 where we've yeah. seen the Nets play good defense, at least in my head, there might be some stretches here and there where the Nets were okay. But at this point in time, it ain't working. I mean, it's the hardest one to sort of adjust to. And look, would you rather be in the Nets position of trying to sort of get in the principles of defense that you're going to use in the playoffs when it matters? Or would you rather be the Milwaukee Bucks and go, all right, we've got this conservative drop style system that Kenny used to instill as well, which is easier and it's going to lead to a, a much higher floor and lower ceiling? Yep. Or would you rather go absolutely balls to the wall and go, all right, this is what we need to do. And if we're going to be the worst defensive team for you know five, 10 games, so be it. If it comes by game 40 and it comes by the playoffs, we're one of the better teams in defense, then we know that this was the right principle to stick towards. Yeah, or even like we've talked about, another tool in your bag where you can play multiple defenses and throw out different teams because you're going to see different matchups. And when I said a higher level, I meant a higher frequency. You know, like we saw it more. And I think at times teams can get too switch happy. You don't have to switch every play. You only switch if you need to switch. You know what I mean? You don't switch for the point of just switching because you're lazy and you don't want to run through a screen. If they're not really forcing you or setting good screens, you can stick to your man. It's just kind of a convenience to conserve energy, especially in some of that off-ball stuff with so many teams running that. And if you're going to run a switching defense, you need to communicate at the highest level. And you also need to know when to help and not to help. And there seems to be a lot of confusion with the Nets on helping, overhelping, not helping, rotations behind the help because too many times you see guys helping and then no one's covering their man or they're over helping in a situation where there's already two or three other nets down there yeah no it's totally fair i think that you know you and, and some other guys on twitter are quite switched on in terms of you know watching it in, in a minute level that and you really have a good understanding of it nick so if, you know, going into to the games going forward, would you change anything on the defensive end of the floor or do you think it just needs to be a better execution? I think it's probably just execution and energy. And like if you're going to switch, you need to actually switch. And like the person needs to be on that body and not just kind of jogging. And that's just what we saw too much tonight from everybody on the court. You know, even at times it was Kevin Durant, it was Karis Avert, And Jared Allen, we mentioned, got sealed by Al Horford like what felt like 100 times in the paint. So it just like too many times guys were not showing enough effort. And like we talked about, like I mentioned earlier, like when you let a young team get comfortable and get easy shots and do what they want offensively, 
they're going to feel good in that second half, and they're going to be harder to stop, especially when you don't have the juice, and the Nets just didn't have the juice tonight. No, they, they really didn't, and it seems to happen on Sundays quite a bit for, for the <laughs> Brooklyn Nets, and I don't know what it is, but you know they've got an opportunity to bounce back against the Denver Nuggets, who had a big win over our crosstown rivals, the New York Knicks, and you know they're a team that is continuing to improve, and that team that should be contending, and they're going to have a tough time you know, guarding the likes of Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, now, Michael Porter Jr., these sort of guys. So it's not going to get any easier. It's going to get way, way harder. Yeah, especially with Jokic because he's such a mismatch. You know what I mean? He's such a different type of player than what you're dealing with. And he'll exploit you if you mess up your coverages because he's one of the best passers we've ever seen. So he's going to find the guy under the rim. And I felt like that was the case too. Too many easy layups and point paints in which you brought up earlier, Jack. Like, why? <laughs> why did it happen so much against a team that doesn't have elite three-point shooting? I have no idea. Like, I, I literally, I'm befuddled. You know, a team that went 38.5% from there. You know, you had Isaiah Roby going 2 of 4. You had Al Horford going 3 of 7. You know, and I, I really don't know, Nick. I'm, 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 at, I'm at a loss to... to to, to be honest, and we saw Alex Schiffer sort of put out on Twitter, he said that, you know, Steve Nash is, uh, it was the most upset that he's seen him after a loss. Well, then uh, hopefully he's showing it and hopefully yeah. he's communicating that because you are the coach, despite the fact that, you know, Kyrie Irving might have said something and, you know, he obviously did take that back and he was, he was joking around with it. You know, act like the coach because right now he ain't acting like it. He's just sort of being like, I get, I'm all for player empowerment. But at the early point of the season, you know, to sort of provide an analogy that makes sense to me, I'm a teacher. I get a new class, um, or if I'm substituting for a new class, I want to impact on them early so that they know my presence is felt. That doesn't mean rah, rah, rahing around. It just means setting a tone. Steve Nash hasn't set a level of a tone yet. We sort of know that he has great emotional intelligence and how he's dealt with the Kyrie Irving situation, I give him full credit for. But in terms of on-court principles and on-court systems, I don't know, I know what he stands for, but it doesn't seem to me that if people don't adhere to those principles, they, you know, if you see Landry Shamit doing dumb things, if you see yep. Toy and Prince, if you see DeAndre Jordan, it just seems to me that they just keep going. And it's, and it's just like, okay, I, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm at a loss for sometimes for what he stands for as a coach sometimes, Nick. Yeah, I think you'd probably like to see a little bit more energy on the sidelines, you know, getting up a little bit or even like, like you said, That's Jack. Kenny, Kenny did that a lot. We, got, we can't argue against Kenny Atkinson for lacking energy on the sidelines. Yeah, and by the time he was done with the Nets, he was yelling at the refs of what felt like every single game. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I appreciate that because they do get plenty of calls wrong, and I feel like coaching present matters in that aspect. And, you know, maybe it's him trying to get a feel for the class or maybe – uh, the class, the, the team, <laughs> you got me all messed up, Jack. No, but um, it it's really tough to gauge. And I don't know if they understand the principles, they understand what the team is trying to do, if the scheme is set in stone or what, or if it's just kind of a lot of read and react. It's just very confusing. It's not like you can necessarily sense what they're doing all the time. There's some sets and some plays, they look focused, locked in, aggressive and confident. In other plays, everybody's just passing the ball and they don't want to shoot it or something like that. And I think with the second unit is where you want to see more coaching, especially when they lack talent. Like, yeah, whatever, you got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, you don't want to bother those guys. They're going to probably drop 30 a night, Big, no big deal. But it's guys like Landry Shaman, it's guys like Torian Prince, it's guys like DeAndre Jordan or even Chris Gios or Bruce Brown or something. You want to make sure that you're helping these guys get in the best positions to be the best possible players of themselves.
Yeah, I mean, you, you can't necessarily play a read-and-react style of offense with TLC, Landry, Shamit, and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Like, it, it just, it's not going to work, you know? You can let Kevin Durant do what he does. You can let Kyra Savert, to an extent, as well, do what he does, and Kyrie Irving. But there needs to be. And, like, we see... I think we know the set that makes the most sense, and we know the set that, you know, Kenny Atkinson also loved doing at the start of games as well, was to try and get Joe Harris or Toyin yep. Prince open early. That's the set that we know. Uh, I don't know if there are any other just, like, sets in general. And um, whether that was also coming from Mike D'Antonio, who is the offensive coordinator, and he sort of just likes to go, James Harden, here's the ball, play basketball. Chris Paul, here's the ball, play basketball. The Nets need to do some stuff, you know. And we know that they predicate on ball movement. We know they predicate on getting out in transition. But they're not doing the things to actually actually execute on on those principles on those key indicators and it's just uh, they need to get better nick because right now they are uh, again i know that we expect them to be a playoff team but right now they ain't playing like it they're five and six and there are a lot of teams that are around that sort of near 500 range but the nets need to improve because other teams are you know the boston celtics are improving you know the milwaukee bucks are continuing to improve and you know the nets are going to get left to the wayside and if they don't actually you know get their butts into gear yeah or they'll get stuck with a really really tough first round matchup and that's just something you don't necessarily want if you're going on a championship run. You want to kind of ease yourself in and not be tested with the likes of, you know, a Miami Heat in the first round or something like that. Yep. You know what I mean? Or even the Boston Celtics, like you said, Jack. So I think when we've seen the Nets really play their best or have really good games and feel confident about them, it's when they're playing good defense, they're getting out in transition and doing a lot of those small things. And that's what's missing in a lot of these games. The offensive talent was still there tonight. I mean, 116 points is enough to win. You know, over 50% from the field is enough to win. Three-point shooting obviously could have done better, but there's going to be nights where you don't hit your threes and you have to find other ways to win. And that's where the Nets struggle at times. And they miss some of those energy guys. And that's why I think we get so angry that Bruce Brown's not in the game more. He doesn't test other guys out when it's just so obvious that certain players are lacking it for that night. And that doesn't mean they're out of the rotation forever. Like, it's okay not to play somebody one night and go back to them the next night. Yeah, because like you mentioned, Nick, you know, against the Memphis Grizzlies, Landry Shamit was barely out there, if not at all. And Bruce Brown was playing a large modicum of minutes, yep. and he was poor. And then he gets yanked, and Landry Shamit gets put back in. But Bruce Brown, I'm, to me, like, it almost... It frustrates me more that we did see Bruce Brown out there for two minutes in, you know, when the, the game was out there for the taking. And then I don't know what he did in those two minutes or what another player did better to just usurp him and relegate him out of the rotation. I'm I'm truly befuddled. And, you know, I'm sure Alex, Matt, and, and the rest of them are probably asking right now. But to me, I'm just, uh, I'm at a loss. I've, I've said that a couple of times in this podcast. But this team... This coach has me at a loss. Yeah, it definitely is confusing. I guess we could talk about a couple positive things. I thought Torian Prince had a nice game. Yep. Five He's... of seven from the field, uh, hit a three. We uh, Five rebounds, I think two assists. He's getting a little bit more under control, and we saw him take it to the rim a couple times, and that was great. He broke down a defender with a crossover and then had a light two-handed jam. Yeah, and then there was a nice little dime to Jared Allen as yep. well on the drive. It's funny, um, Lucas Kaplan of uh, NetRepublic.com had a, a, a sort of film breakdown of one of his plays, and it was one sort of criticizing Toyin Prince, but also saying he can be better. And apparently Toyin Prince liked it. So Toyin Prince he looks for the film out there, and it seems to me, uh, one thing that we can't argue about Toyin Prince is that he's looking to improve. 
Yeah. And he's doing the right things to get those rotation minutes. You know, tonight, 11 points, five boards, like you mentioned, two assists, had a steal, um, was one or two from three, had five or seven. He, his shot selection is becoming a lot better. And I'm not going to say that there, every single one of those seven shots was perfect, but to hit five of them and for a lot of them to show aggression and put the impetus on the on the defense to, to make the call and, and be, you know, sound vertically or, or whatever else it might be in terms of their body positioning. You know, I think he's putting the pressure on the defense in a way that not many other players are. Karras he probably could have got free throws tonight and he didn't. Yep, definitely. And and I think that if he continues to maintain that, then he's going to be a, a, a key tenant of, of the rotation going forward. You know, I think his defense obviously is going to be up and down, but that's a, almost a prototype and, and a... And, and a product of the system right now. You know, Torian Prince can't be good right now because the system is is so damn poor. You know, he's not going to be a leader on defensively. He can be he can be good and solid, but he's going to be a product of the good system. You know, it has to be you know the vet in Jeff Green. It has to be Kevin Durant. It has to be Jared Allen. Those have to be the guys setting the tone. And you know, on the perimeter a little bit, Karis Levert who continues to be inconsistent, but you know, offensively was quite good tonight. Um, and continue to be, you know, improve his efficiency going forward. Yeah, I thought he did a bad job defensively tonight. I thought he got a little lazy, especially knowing that some of the OKC players can't shoot. I felt like he was just kind of sloppy on some of his switches and coming off the screens where it's like, you know he has the ability to disrupt plays. When you know does he I mean? go through a screen, Nick? He seems to always go under. Like yeah, I, I don't, when I don't he, like you know, it. when he does go over a screen, it usually gets a steal. When he actually fights through it, like he did against Joe Ingles two games ago, he gets his yeah. hands in there, and he, be, you know, exactly what play I'm talking about. Because yeah, when he does do it, it works. But the problem is, is that he doesn't do it consistently. I'm not sure if he's scared of contact. It seems like a lot of players in this Nets team don't want to deal with contact and. I, I, I don't really understand basketball's a contact sport, obviously not to the same extent of football and stuff like that. But defensively, when he's locked in, I think it helps set the tone for the team a little bit. And tonight he didn't do that. But like you said, offensively, really good. We saw point guard Karras tonight, some real dimes out there. And like you mentioned on Twitter and you hinted at a couple times in the show, driving to the rim, creating contact. Maybe doesn't always get the finish or the call, but it's kind of just – hey, we're going to be aggressive, we're going to be in your face, and then and that kind of allows him to get some of his open threes. And when he allows his threes to come to him, that's when he makes them, when he tries to force them, they don't typically go in. Yeah, I, I think that you can tell the tone from Karis Avert early on. You know, he's yeah. one of those really sort of rhythm players more than maybe any other player in the league. You know, if KD, KD missed a couple of his first couple of shots, but you're just like, yeah, KD's going to hit these. But if that were Karis Avert, you know, he'd probably have a pretty poor night because he's just, he, he needs that rhythm early on. Do you and think that starting rhythm... impacts him, Jack? Starting and like coming off the bench because of the rhythm thing? Yeah, probably. I think that that would have uh, some, uh, certainly have some level of impact. Um, he is a starter. Like he, we we know what he is like as a player. He's the the third best, third most talented player on the roster right now. But you know his skill set is almost sometimes you know you would rather have the ball in Kevin Durant's hands when Karis Avert is dribble, 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 and it's just like, oh, man, come on, man, just feed KD in the post right now. He's cooking. So sometimes you know it's and again with like Kyrie out as well. It, it, does Karis Levert's skill set get even more relegated? You know, we've discussed that at length in the in the offseason and the preseason. So, look, he's a starter. I think that that's something he needs to figure out and work himself into. I think he does. I'm still for the, the Manu Ginobili 
sort of role for him because the the bench unit is just so damn trash and they need his offense. But, you know, I think as well relegate Joe Harris back to the bench as well because well, let's put Bruce Brown back in there. You know, I just don't understand. I think that... I think it just makes so much sense having Bruce Brown and Jeff Green because it's that gritty stuff that we just talked about and what the team needs. And you have two of the best offensive players. It's a rare combination to have two players of this offensive skill on the same team. And, and like, you don't need, like, how much offense can you get? And the, the team isn't even playing that well offensively because... The talents of KD and Kyrie, they know how to create their own shot really, really well. KD has gotten so much better at creating for others. But Kyrie, that isn't sort of his natural flow of it. KD's looking for other guys as well. And yep. sometimes it does lead to turnovers. And Kyrie sort of does that as well. So for me, it just makes sense with the balance, as we alluded to. And it's just like, you know, the experimentation worked to an extent. You know, having Toyin Prince, uh, Jeff Green, and Bruce Brown, sort of three sort of defensive, gritty sort of dudes, we got that energy. We got that defensive intangibility that we wanted. And then we just went, and then Steve Nash just went away from it. Look, I like this starting lineup as well, but I just don't think the balance was there in hindsight. Yeah, and I just think it, Sometimes it puts too much pressure on like Joe Harris to try to defend guys, especially when they're running so much of this switching stuff. Like, what's Joe Harris supposed to do in front of SGA? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what's he supposed to do? It just kind of puts it puts your players in a bad position. I get it. When you're like cooking offensively, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. But when you're having struggles like they did tonight in terms of just like lack of cohesion and that energy, sometimes just like you said, balancing out the team can help so much more, and it gives both units confidence. Because like. Almost regardless who the other three players are on the floor with Kyrie and KD, you probably think the Nets starting lineup is either going to be better than the other teams or at least maintain around the same level. And then if you have that option to bring in that like steroided second unit with a Joe Harris and Karis Avert, that's just awesome. That's where I think like that's where the coaching really comes in and it comes gets to the strategy. And like we talked about before, that allows you to maybe finish quarters or halves with, you know, KD, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Karis Avert, and Jared Allen. Yeah, and just because you start with Bruce, Brown, Toyin, Prince, Jeff Green, whoever, whatever combination it might be, doesn't mean you have to finish the game with them. And yep. I, I don't know. It it seems to me that there's a lot of experimentation and then it goes back to just being like, all right, let's just try Landry Shaman again and, and give him 15 minutes despite doing nothing. I'm hoping that this is just a blip, Nick, and sometimes you need to have those reset games and you need to perform so poorly to go, okay, this is everything we did wrong. Can we fix this? Hopefully. And then go, all right, we've got a, a really tough performance against a team that you know hasn't been going the best themselves, but you know is known to be one of the contenders out there. But here's the challenge now. We need to step up against these guys. And you know, they haven't been good, good defensively either. So, you know, it's gonna be an interesting it's gonna be an interesting sort We're of game. We're gonna get another uh, 145, 144 game jacker. Look, I'm I'm hoping for defense to be honest, Nick, because I, I don't know I mean, there's questions on the offense in terms of schematically sometimes, but I just think, you know, the Nets need to play some defense. You know, we've heard and, we've, and that's been the question about them. I was, I've, I've said before that I had a level of confidence about it because of you know after six or seven games. But the longer this goes on, and the the, the longer these issues continue to plague the team, the less confident I become because it's sort of that Boston Celtics game was like a far distant dream almost. It's just like, man, we actually did that. We actually played some lockdown defense. And look, we've got Jared Allen performing well now. It's just like we should be combining these things, and it should be easy enough to figure it out but it seems to me that steve's having a tough time doing and the players are as well yeah it's just rough overall and like you said jack it's still early in the season they're still adjusting trying to get the reset trying to find what works for everybody on the team so 
I haven't lost all confidence. Obviously, some things are definitely a little bit more stressful. I think that Spencer Dinwiddie's injury sticks out a little bit more each and every game, just given how good of a player he is. And he covers up so many holes because not only not that he's some amazing defender, but he gives you athleticism. He gives you that, you know, five to a player. And he also is just somebody who could drop 30 on any given night. He didn't have any big games when he was healthy, but he's still a guy that, like, that Memphis game, you have Spencer Dooney and Karis Avert. You feel like that's a dub in the bag just because they're two fringe all-star level players. And I think that's something that's really hurting the team, and I think that's an issue that maybe Sean Marks has to look at addressing is finding maybe another playmaker or point guard for the team. Yeah, I mean, look, George Hill has been a guy who's been touted. There's a lot of people who are a fan of Isaiah Thomas and, and Jamal Crawford as well, guys that can just create their own shot. But I think, you know, Tyler Johnson, I think, is is a guy that can sort of fit in that mold and, and prototype a little bit too. But I think the Nets also need a, a level of defense. There are a lot of issues right yeah. now for this team. Guard depth, I don't think, is one of them when, you know, Tyler Johnson is out there and Kyrie Irving is out there because you've got three ball handlers. You know, Chris Chioza to chip in for 10 minutes when some guys are injured uh, and such. But, yeah, Tyler Johnson... Uh, I think sort of fits that mold and hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. But yeah, Spencer Dillney is a pronounced loss. You know, he just provides just so much balance to this team. You know, he's a he's a capable enough defender. He's incredibly smart as well. And I think his communication is probably missed and his leadership is probably missed yep. in that in that sense as well. He's just like a guy who can just sort of bring everything together. You know what? All right, I can switch on to this guy who's like five inches taller than me. I can facilitate and find open shots for, uh, for KD and, and Kyrie in the post. I can get... You know, uh, some lobs for DJ and Jared Allen. You know, it just seems that... You know, Get he to the is, free throw line, and I think that's yeah. something they missed too. Yeah, his versatility is certainly missed. And, and look, um, we can't cry over spilt milk. That has happened now. Steve Nash and the team need to put that behind them and go, all right, what are the solutions to it? You know, does Sean Marks need to do better? Look, Sadiq Bay would be damn good on this team, Nick. I put it out on Twitter. I need to bring it to the actual podcast. I think everyone has probably... I've seen that a lot today. <laughs> uh, man, I, I we were big on it on the on the draft pod with, with Alec as well. You know, um, Even Desmond Josh... Bain, right? He was still on the board as well. Desmond Bain, you know, um, Josh Green was one pick ahead, but, you know, I, I was all in on Sadiq Bay. He is my Bay, and, you know, he's performing <laughs> incredibly right now for, for the Detroit Pistons. Just defense and three-point shooting. Oh, wow, I wonder what the, the Nets kind of need right now. But, yeah, th- th- there's, again, no use crying over spilled milk. What can the Nets do to improve? I mean, it needs to be internal right now. And Sean Marks, I think, still does, does need to do a little bit of work around the wings. You know, George Hill, Thaddeus Young, Aaron Gordon, these sort of dudes. But I think that it's on the players, it's on the coaches that are there in the rotation right now to fix it. Because, you know, you've... There's still enough talent to win there. Exactly, Jack. It's on them yep. to fix it. And obviously, having the other pieces would make it a little bit easier. But like you said, Jack, the pieces are there to win these games. And it's not like... There hasn't been a game in which they played that they essentially they couldn't have won. Maybe the second game against Atlanta where I felt like Atlanta was kind of hot and they were kind of hitting their thing. But other than that, they could have won almost every single game. Yeah, and I, and I mean, like, that's the glass half, glass yeah. half full approach where it's just like, man, the Nets could be like 8-3 and three or 9-2. and two. And it, whereas, and we wouldn't be having all these arguments and these internal discussions about a Steve Nash a good coach or whatever, but... You know, the good coaches do close out those those tough games. They do make the adjustments that are needed. Let's hypothetically say if the Nets had Doc Rivers as their coach. Do, what do you think their record would be right now? I, I look. I'm. I think it'd probably be eight and three, seven and four yeah. uh, at the seven and four at the very least. Um, you know, I just think that while there's some weaknesses for Doc Rivers in, in certain sort of respects, he knows what is working. He knows just how to get good fundamental basketball out of a team. You know, he's going to make rotations. Um, and there's a reason why he has a very hoarse voice. You know, he's always <laughs> out there barking and yelling. Look, not to, uh, in fact, 
you know what? I'm going to put it out there. What Tom Thibodeau is doing with the New York Knicks right now, you know, he's providing a level of, all right, these are our intangibles. You need to perform or you're not going to get minutes. And if you are, you know, I don't, I'm not saying play KD 42 minutes and all this sort of thing, but, you know, in terms of in comparison to other coaches... The Knicks coaches are playing around, harder. Yeah, the Knicks are playing harder, just better, greater energy on the defensive end and the offensive end. They're just hustling. And sometimes hustle makes up for lack of talent. Right now, the Nets have a, a heap of talent there, but the hustle ain't combining. You know, hard work beats talent. And, and right now, the Nets aren't working hard enough. Yeah, and some of those players that are supposed to be providing that hard work or some of that energy just aren't doing it, and that's why Steve Nash needs to find the guys that are willing to do that and do the little things, and that's what we think Bruce Brown can do. I think that, you know, at times maybe you could splash Rodion's in there or something just to give you a spark, and I think they're just there's just too many times where the energy just feels so dead for a team that is so talented and so good, and, like, watching it, you can feel it, not even being in the stadium. Yeah, I mean, right now at this point in time, I'm confident in the starting five that we had tonight. You know, yep. th- those guys are, are capable enough performers, you know, in key stretches for the rest of the season. I'm pretty confident in TLC. I think he can be bipolar, but I think that it's sparingly, I think he's good enough. And if he's Bruce a bench Brown, player, that's fine. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and Torian Prince, I think, is the same. You know, and the the question marks on Bruce Brown, Landry Shamet, DeAndre Jordan, you know, Rodion's chorus, I I don't know, he's really going to get any minutes this season. But for me, yeah, it's Bruce Brown, Landry Shamet, DeAndre Jordan, I think, is almost a known commodity as being like, you know, he should not be playing. He's just bad. Yeah, he's he's not a good basketballer. He should be barely getting minutes. And look, 10 minutes tonight for him. There's one thing that Steve Nash did, right? Um, But in saying that, you know, you need to figure out this Landry Shamet, Bruce Brown thing. You know, when Tyler Johnson comes back, you need to figure out what you've got because you need to have a solid seven to nine man rotation. I'm currently reading the 11 Rings biography of Phil Jackson, and he's sort of saying that, you know, that's what he used the regular season for. He's just like, all right, I've got these guys here. I need to figure out who's going to be the key contributors when it does matter. And the experimentation, the toying with lineups is fine. But if you're not performing and you're not doing the the tangible things that are a key ten pulse to your success then you don't deserve to get those minutes. Yeah, Bruce Brown was poor against the Memphis Grizzlies, but so was Landry Shaman again tonight. You know, Whether it's a mix and match thing with those two, if Landry Shaman isn't hitting his shot, don't play him. If Bruce Brown isn't providing defensive energy, don't play him. I, I don't care. Like um, We are Bruce Brown stands. I think everyone on that Twitter is. But when a lot of the things that you are doing poorly can be provided by a player you have on the roster, not playing him just makes no sense at all. Do you think Tyler Johnson should get those minutes over those two? Like, just because he's more a better steady. idea of what you're getting with him? Yeah, he's steady. You know, yeah. he, I think that he's a known commodity. And, you know, sort of alluding to, you know, who is a known commodity on this roster? I think we know what Tyler Johnson can provide. And I don't think what you can probably get a higher... You have a higher ceiling out of Bruce Brown and Landry Shamit. Yep. So I think it's worth experimenting with them. And Tyler Johnson, too. You know, I think Tyler Johnson with Karasavert in the second unit or the first unit or whatever just because I think he's much better than Chris Joseph, and I know you do as well, Nick. So I think that Tyler Johnson helps this team. He doesn't necessarily fix things you know, automatically. But he does but provide he's... energy too. Like you always feel when Tyler Johnson's in the game. He just, even if it's getting a dumb foul or it's like taking a charge or something, you know what I mean? You see his curls yeah. flopping everywhere. You know he's out there. Curls get the girls, as they say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that there needs to there needs to be better coaching. There needs to be better execution by the players. And uh, it, the Nets need to be better, Nick. It's as simple as that. Yeah, 100%. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody listening. And obviously, hopefully next time we're talking about a Nets win. Fingers crossed. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.